good to uh, good to be together again, even though it is uh, virtually. Uh, I'm Andrew, uh, one of the leaders at uh, Abbey Church. So freedom, as uh, Jenny said, we begin a, a new series now over the next few weeks, thinking about freedom. Freedom is a um, much used and, uh, and, a, and in a sense a powerful word, isn't it? Because it it, it represents a powerful force. And human beings want to be free. And we want to be free in, in, in all sorts of, of ways, whether that be free from uh, human uh, dictatorships or freedom from slavery, of course, has been in the news quite a bit recently. But also that desire isn't it, to be personally free. Uh, and within that, with, it, with that comes that sort of um, thought that we that free to be the person that we are and free to be express ourselves um, how we feel we should. Uh, normally we add a sort of rider there that we can be, do exactly as we want, provided we don't hurt anybody else. Well, at least in theory anyway. The Bible has got a lot to say about freedom and slavery. And, and as you've read, those terms, certainly slavery, cropped up quite a few times in the reading that we just had. Let's just ask some very uh, simple questions which ab about, about freedom and freedom from sin. Why do we need to be set free from sin? Who needs to be set free from sin? What does it mean to be set free from sin? And how are we set free from sin? Now, as you can expect, we can't deal with all of those questions in a short talk. Uh, but I'll just answer the first two very quickly. And maybe you'd want to think about this in your community groups. By the way, folks, this is a recording just for you at church. We've done a separate one to go out online, um, which is more uh, connected, perhaps, or would connect more with people who are not used to going to church. Why do we need to be set free from sin? Well, the Bible tells us quite clearly. Because literally, sin kills us. Still, sin means death. We read, Andy just read, the wages of sin, the consequences, the results of sin is death. And we know that's not talking about physical death. It's talking about something much much greater, much more important than physical life or death. And that's the death of separation from God and all that God is and all his goodness. So it's important. We need to be set free from sin. Who needs to be set free from sin? Well, if we were to go back in, in Romans, we'd, we'd see quite clearly Paul there says it's all of us, isn't it? We have that well-known, that verse that some of us will have memorized. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one that's righteous. So all of us need to be set free from sin. And it's therefore really important, a really important subject. Everyone has sinned and the wages of sin is death. But of course, the end of that verse 623 says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can be set free from the penalty of sin because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And we can receive forgiveness 
and new life and eternal life. Freedom from the power of sin is what we're going to be thinking about this morning, though, more than freedom from the penalty of sin, because that's what this passage, Romans 6, is about. Would you like to change? I'm not talking now physically. I'm sure many of us would like a, an upgrade or a makeover or whatever else physically. I certainly would. I'm sure Kim would appreciate that too. But I'm talking now about change in terms of who we are, the character we are, the person that we are. Would you like to be different? I guess the truth is many of us would like to be better. I, th I would like to be better, and I'm sure Kim's nodding ahead to that as well. I'd like at times to be kinder and more generous. Um, I'd like to... Um, uh, do some things, be more disciplined maybe, maybe achievable. And as, as you see, as I start to say that, you recognise that actually I've got mixed motives for wanting to be better. In part, it's because I want people to like me more. I want people to respect me more. I want to get more, do more. And that's the truth for each of us. While we probably want to be better, our motives for being better are not entirely pure. They're not entirely unselfish. Is that the sort of change that God talks about? No, the change that God talks about and God's word talk about is about complete and total transformation. To be the person that he made us to be, that he intends us to be. And the Bible has a very clear blueprint of what that looks like. And the blueprint is Jesus Christ. He is the one that God intends all human beings to be like. And Jesus was free from sin. He was tempted, it says. In fact, I think somebody referred to it earlier. He was tempted in all ways, as we are. And perhaps in ways that we're not tempted. And yet, he did not sin. When I'm tempted... Sadly, too often, I sin. Jesus was not like that. But God wants me and you, all of us, to become like the Lord Jesus Christ, to become righteous like him. And Paul has explained what we call justification in the chapters leading up to this one in Romans 6, how we are justified by, what, by Christ's death and resurrection. You know the old phrase, just as if I'd never sinned. How we're put right with God. But this chapter, Romans 6, is not about justification, but to use the other big word, it's about sanctification. How do we become more like Jesus? Let's just take, put two very clear statements in here at this point. We will never know complete freedom from sin in this life. Our nature has been corrupted. And that means that our nature very easily yields to temptation. Sin remains in our lives and always will. One day that will not be true. Hebrews 12, 23 talks about spirits made perfect. One day we will be free from sin completely as the Lord Jesus Christ was. So we'll never know complete freedom in this life. And secondly, we can't, we can't do this by our own efforts as Christians, because this chapter is written to believing people in Rome. And many of us listening now are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
but we can't live the Christian life even by our own efforts. A Puritan once wrote, we're more able to stop the course of the sun or to make rivers flow uphill as by our own efforts, skill and power to rule and order our hearts. We need a heart change. And that's what God's intent on doing. So how can we know increasing freedom from sin? Because that's what God wants. For us as believers to know increasing freedom from sin in our lives. And therefore for our lives to be more lived by his power, for his purposes, in his ways. There's a story that Tim Chester tells in his book about uh, change. And um, it's about a, a Christian musician or Christian music publisher, maybe, who went to see his pastor. And this Christian guy said, he said, he confessed that he'd had three years of hopelessness in his life, characterized by anxiety and panic attacks or whatever else. And he confessed his hopelessness to his pastor. And to his great surprise, the pastor said, the problem is, I don't think you're hopeless enough. And at first he thought the pastor was joking, but he wasn't. Because the pastor went on to say that the problem was that he, he, was, he, was, trying, he was trying to change things himself. And he told him he needed to stop trusting in his own efforts to change the situation and change his life and start trusting more in what Jesus Christ had already done for him on the cross. And this guy then said, you know, it was like a light went on. And for months after that, every time he felt anxious or hopeless, he would say to himself, I am a hopeless person. But Jesus Christ died for hopeless people like me. And in that simple story, there's a profound truth that if we're going to continue in the Christian life, and if we're going to know increasing freedom from sin, then the way that happens is the same way that we came to Christ in the first place. And the way that we came to Christ was through recognizing our weaknesses, recognizing our need, recognizing that we were sinful, recognizing that we deserved his judgment, but also recognizing his grace and putting our faith and trust in his grace and what his grace worked out on the cross and in his resurrection achieved for us. Right, we come to Romans 6 now, and we're going to look at this fairly quickly. And I think there's three things that I want to bring out from this chapter about how we can know increasing freedom from sin. Do you want to know that? I do. I want to know more about that. And so let's listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. As I said, we won't be able to go through it in great detail, but let's pull out some things. First of all, do you remember Jesus said, the truth will set you free? John 8 verse 32. And the first thing in being set free in increasing measure from sin is to know and understand the truth, to believe it, believe it. And that's why I think the first 10 verses of Romans chapter 6 is about. And in those first 10 verses, we read about a death, don't we? We read about a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Whose? Well, the answer is Jesus's. Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. That's like the answer to all 
Sunday school question was Jesus. But there's another death, isn't there, in that passage? And that death is ours, our burial, our crucifixion. I mean, just look at it. In verse 8, it says, we died with Christ. In verse 6, it says, our old self was crucified with Christ. In verse 4, it says about we were buried with him. And verse 8 also talks about we will also live with him. And what that passage is saying, very simply, <clears throat> is this. That whatever happened to Jesus has happened to me. What happened to Jesus has happened to me and in me if I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection demonstrated beyond all doubt that he had power over sin and over death. No one could argue that. Death had no power over him. That's why he rose again from the dead. And this passage is saying quite clearly that if we're in Christ, and that's the, that's the words that Paul uses in verse 11, if we're in Christ Jesus, and of course he uses them many times in the epistles, if we are in Christ Jesus, his death, his resurrection are ours. Are ours. And that just the sin and death had no power over him. Now they have no power over us. Now that will mean something absolutely wonderful in the life to come, as we've already said. But it also means something in the here and now. Let's just read verses 6 to get 7 together. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. The word for that body away being done away with, done away with, the word for that is loosed. And in the next chapter, Paul is talking about um, someone who's a, a married person whose partner has died. And it says, he uses that same word to say that the widow or the widower has been loosed from all their married obligations. They're set free from them. They no longer have to follow those promises that they made because the marriage has come to an end. You're free. And all of this, as he says in those first few years, this is symbolized in our baptism. That's why baptism is so important. It doesn't do anything for us at all in that sense. But what it does do, it says publicly that I am in Christ Jesus. I have died with him, I've buried him, and I'm raised with him, and I'm raised to live a new life. That's why we want to see people who love the Lord Jesus, who are saved, being baptised. And the life we live, we live by a life of repentance and faith. The way I came to Christ is the way I continue to live. And you might say, well, we know all that. I know all this. I've done, what I've just said is nothing new. And yet, as I thought about it, I thought, do you know what? I know this, but I so easily forget it. I so easily forget, and I so easily, therefore, try and change myself by working harder. And Jenny's, what Jenny said about rest is so important, because we can so be busy trying to do things that we don't actually achieve anything. And at times, it's true, we don't feel 
It's times that true, we don't feel that this is true. We see the way we live, the way we behave, and we begin to doubt whether any of this is true. And that we need to come back to this truth. That in Christ, we will know death to slavery, to sin, and we will know new life. And we can live that life. Sin has no power on us. And in verse 11, Paul says to them, count on this, count on it, bank on it, trust it, believe it's true and live accordingly. Believe it's true and live accordingly. You, many of you will know this story. This is a sort of old story that's used. I can remember it from when I was not very big. But it stuck with me. And it's the story, of course, of, about the, the French guy whose name, well, the name he took was Blondin. Blondin. And he was world famous because he was an amazing tightrope walker. And he had a tightrope stretched across the Niagara Falls. And he did this more than once. And uh, he'd go the 1,100 feet across the Niagara Falls on the tightrope. No safety net, just, the, just death beneath him. And uh, as he'd go across the Niagara Falls, he, he went with his, you know, the pole they carried to help balance. And then he came back without it. And there's talk, talk that one time even he stopped halfway and fried some eggs. Um, but another thing he did was push a wheelbarrow across with a sack of potatoes. And, and of course, huge crowds used to gather. Even uh, royalty from England and whatever else went across to see Blondin perform this amazing feat. And the story is told, and I think this, is, this bit is true, the story is told that one day he pushed the wheelbarrow across and the crowd went absolutely wild. And he said, and he said to the crowd, do you believe I could, I could carry a man, I could push a man across in my wheelbarrow? And they all said, yeah, of course you can. You can do anything on that type rope. And then he said, okay, well, one of you volunteer. Deathly silence. No one volunteered. You see, they said they believed it, but they didn't really believe it. They weren't willing to bank, bank on it, count on it, and trust him to do it. There's another story added to this, but I'm not sure this bit's true, that eventually an old lady came forward and he pushed her across, and uh, it was his mother. But as I said, I'm not quite so sure about that bit. Paul says, bank on this truth, believe it and therefore act accordingly. And in verses 12 and 13, he tells us some things, how we're to act, that we're to not do two things, and we are to do one thing. First of all, let's just read those two verses together, 12 and 13, um, carrying on. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. I think Ben will be saying some more about that subject or part of that subject next week. First don't, the first don't is this. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Now the very fact that he's saying don't means that he can but it doesn't have to. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let it control you. Do not let it dictate how you live. 
Yes, you will be tempted, but do not give in to temptations. And as we said, if you do, you know what you've got to do. You've got to repent and come back to God. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, for the first time in years, I visited the office where I used to work. I was down near, near it and I thought, well, I must go in and say hello. Obviously not many people that I know because it's now 13 years since I left that job. But, uh, a couple of them were there and I saw one of the old, uh, one of the partners. And you imagine if I was there standing there in reception as I was, if you'd come up to me and said, Andrew, great to see you. He said, by the way, can you go and do that, complete that tax return upstairs? And can you ring so-and-so about this or whatever else? If he'd said that to me, one, I'd have been completely bamboozled, but then... I would have said to him, actually, do you know what? I don't work here anymore. I don't, I don't work here. I don't have to therefore do what you're telling me to do. We don't have to do what God, what, what the devil is tempting us to do because we no longer belong to him. We're no longer his slaves. The truth has set us free. And therefore we can live differently. And the next thing he says, don't do in verse 13, is don't let your body be used for his purposes or for your own selfish purposes. The same thing, instruments of wickedness. He's talking about us physically now, here and now. This has nothing to do with the afterlife. This is now. Think about, think about your bodies, your minds. What do you think about? What are you focusing? Think about your eyes and your ears. What are you watching? What are you listening to? Think about your hands and feet. What, how can God use my hands? Where does he want me to go? So don't yield them to wickedness, but instead the thing to do is to offer our bodies to him. That's what verse 13 is about, isn't it? So that these, our bodies become instruments of righteousness rather than instruments for wickedness. Of course, there's those well-known verses, aren't there? Romans chapter 12, first couple of verses. Again, verses that are worth memorizing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, and of course, brothers means brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that he's done, of course, he's already told us all that in the earlier chapters, in, all of, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your minds. And that is something we choose to do. It is an act of the will. And the Holy Spirit, we could look at chapter, uh, chapter eight, the Holy Spirit then works within us so that those intentions can be realized, so that that can happen. They can become a real reality. It is something in which we cooperate with God as we are meant to become more and more like the Lord Jesus. You know, that does not happen by us being completely passive. It's not something that happens to us that each night we sleep, you know, that God works on us a bit more and we become more like the Lord Jesus. It's something that happens as we surrender our will and yield ourselves to him. As we cooperate with him, it's an ongoing process, a process that will continue throughout every day of our earthly lives, but a process in which we have an active role. You see, if we surrender to sin, if we surrender to temptations, we, can, we go down the pathway of becoming slaves to sin.
You see, sin is not neutral. The devil is active. He's real. And he wants to become our master. And sin controls us and spoils us. We reap what we sow. You heard the thing about sowing a thought, reaping an action, sowing an action, reaping a, a habit, sowing a habit, reaping a, cabin, a, a character. That's what happens. Just like weeds in our garden, that if unchecked, if unchecked, they would take over the whole thing. That's why you have the lost gardens of Heligan, because they were overgrown and nobody knew they were there. And yet there were beautiful gardens completely swamped by everything else that had grown there. And that's what happens in our life. If we yield to sin, if we continue to yield to sin, then we will, make, we will become slaves. Or we can yield to God in obedience. And as the passage we just read, know and experience righteousness and eternal life. In verse 17, Paul gives thanks. Just this in finishing, verse 17. Paul gives thanks for these people that he's writing to these Christians. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted and you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The people that he wrote to believed the truth, the truth of the gospel that they heard. They believed it, they counted on it and they acted on it. And they would have known in increasing measure freedom from sin. And we pray, don't we, that that might be true for each one of us. Amen.